Welcome to Unbounded, talks on growth in financial services. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Mike Parsons, and Unbounded is powered by Flowex.ai. Today, we are talking with Radu Georgescu, a serial entrepreneur and venture capitalist. So get ready to take some notes from the master himself. And he is a master indeed. His companies have been acquired by the likes of Microsoft and Fitbit. He serves on the board of several companies. He's even the chairman of a brand new company. It's a hot tech equity company. He's going to tell us more about it. It's called Seedlink. Guys, girls, get ready. This is the time to get ready and dig into the growth equation. Radu, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Thank you for having me. It's uh, great to start the morning with you. Well, it's a real pleasure to, to have you on the show. And, and, you know, I was looking at this inventory of the companies that you have been involved with. And I wonder, are you the busiest man in Silicon Valley and do you sleep? This is perhaps the biggest and most important questions I can ask you. I mean, Radu, like, tell me how you got to this point where you have participated in so many companies. You've done what for many others is five lifetimes. Tell us a little bit about that and give us a sense of how you have managed to, to do so many different ventures. Uh, look, look, Mike, you know, I, uh, I'm just a baby uh, compared to others that have done so much more. And at uh, this age, I'm still really anxious and looking forward to, you know, uh, the, the best that's, that, that's next to come. Uh, I'm always excited to, to do something new and to figure out new things. And uh, th- this, this continuous search is what uh, wakes me up in the morning. And I've been lucky to be part of um, uh, companies that actually were part of starts of businesses. Like, you know, for example, Rav Antivirus was started back in 92 when there are literally four antiviruses in the world. And, you know, a, a security conference was 20 people in a, in a hotel conference room, right? Mm. <laughs> in a small hotel con- conference room. And... Um, um, the payment uh, was starting payment online payments uh, around here in Europe, and uh, CoinZone was into into blockchain transactions, not Bitcoin, but blockchain mm. um, document transactions. Uh, about uh, what ten years ago, so starting an industry, being part of the first companies to start a, an, an industry, being part of that energy that actually builds things from ground zero thinking out of the box trying to convince people that you know there is there can be something there and some things can can actually be false or or not work and so on all in all i've started uh, as a founder or co-founder basically uh 37 companies and six of them were hugely successful acquired by you know the likes of microsoft francisco partners nespers and so on um 10 of them didn't really lose all the money and all the rest were amazing uh, training and learning experiences. Wow. Now, I, I could really sense the, the magic of those moments when you are creating something from scratch, being brave and audacious and going out in the world to solve a problem and being at that ground zero. Is that for you personally the, the most exciting moment where there's a blank canvas 
and then you create something. It's that first zero to a hundred, if you will. Yeah, ab- absolutely. That's it. And that's, that's part of the answer to your original question. How, how can I do so much? The thing is that I've never, uh, gotten with a company all the way to, you know, unicorn, decacorn and so on, because the most exciting part is the beginning, you know, figuring the way to solve the problem mm. and being, you know, 10 people in a, in a room where, uh, doing everybody's doing everything and it's super exciting because everybody ends up to be a product guy a product manager you know in order to 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 figure out what the customer wants what what people inside the company needs to be able to solve the problem what the actual problem is not the not the uh, declared problem about what the actual problem is Mm. how to solve it's so exciting so exciting so many decades later now if you were to be so lucky as to give your 18-year-old self some <laughs> entrepreneurial advice, and you can only give one, Radu, okay, what one piece of advice would you give to yourself if you're 18 and it's entrepreneurial advice, what would you give yourself? Man, that, that's an unfair question, uh, knowing that, <laughs> that, that it can never happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so look, for myself, I've been lucky enough to be able to tell to my, my, myself, you know, 18 years old, uh, do whatever you are doing, you're, you're, you're going to do fine. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm so happy with, with my life and, uh, I've been so lucky to, to, to be able to, to figure things out and do the right mistakes. Um, so very biased, very personally, very to myself, I would say, mm-hmm. you know, Keep up the good work, man. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to end up fine. Um, whenever, whenever I'm, I'm speaking to kids in high schools and colleges and so on. So they're asking me, oh, what, what should you do? Give us one advice. So what, what I would actually do and tell them is guys do mistakes, do things, do different things, try things out, try as many things out mm. on the business level, on the personal level, figure, fig, figure, figure who you are, figure what people need around you, try things, think out of the box, do mistakes as many as possible. Every mistake is a step close, brings you a step closer to a success. Mm. Uh, yeah. That's, that's, that's like a big invitation to experiment and through those experiments you can learn, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny, isn't it? Like learning really is one of the key ingredients in those early days. It's, it's all about having the right mindset, isn't it? Yeah, the exploratory mindset and the courage to, uh, to be wrong, uh, I've met so many people that don't open their mouth because they're afraid to be embarrassed of being wrong. They're mm. afraid of losing, um, you know, faith of the others, respect of the others, losing assets, whatever, uh, by being wrong in a decision or in a, in a, in a, uh, sentence or whatever. And I'm like, man, you know, let's do all the mistakes. Uh, mm. let's, let's, let's speak, let's speak our mind out. Yeah. So experiment, I think it's, it experiment. I think it's one of the most important things for a person to grow. 
I, I believe you're not only absolutely correct with entrepreneurialism, I would say overcoming self-doubt and having some courage may be in fact one of the most important things to do in life overall. But while we talk about mindset, I'd love to get your sense, having looked at so many companies, been part of so many companies, invested and so forth, I'd love to get your take on this idea of something that we hear a lot in the product world and the fintech world, which is this agile mindset. And, you know, if any good product owner is going to be chasing, keeping up with the customer needs and the market dynamics. So your customers need different features and functionality, but also the market is continuously moving. You know, there's so little boundary to innovation. When we talk uh, about technology, we can deploy new features, you know, in a click these days. So a question that I have is, I want you to describe a product owner that has an agile mindset. We just talked about the, the the learning and the experimentation, which I'm sure is part of it. But I want to focus a bit on the the capacity to be agile, to change, and to be adaptive in the, in the world in which we li- live. Describe to me the strong characteristics that you think a product owner really needs. No, I, I have uh, really encountered a product manager who have uh, wear all the hats and these are as as rare as they are as powerful they are so good product guys uh, good product managers are amazing people and you know that, that this question that you asked me it's a bit unfair and I, I'm gonna have a very biased um, answer because deep in my heart I'm a product guy so I love product people more than, and no disrespect to, to all the rest of, of people in the company, uh, but I think product people are very strategically important. So I, I, I uh, now coming back to, to this, normally what I'm seeing is a, 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 a team of two guys working in perfect tandem one looking outside, you know, to the customers and uh, try to figure out um, what um, this the discovery work uh, focus for that, paying attention to overall strategy, you know, um, markets, customers, monetization, business value, mm-hmm. um, all, all these things. Well, the other hat is uh, the delivery. Um, uh, detailing requirements, work with engineers, uh, support them, uh, focus in the organization, right? And if, if you can get one person to do both, um, that that's absolutely amazing. And that when, you know, the poetry is it's starting to be written. Um, but a very good team is um is is really amazing the end of the day you know to 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 reconcile the two hats um the the mindset is is mostly curiosity uh is to deal with ambiguity and test assumptions right for uh fast learn fail iterate a mix of technology design marketing Mm. skills i mean there's so many so many things uh, product excellence, um, which uh, basically requires a deep understanding of user needs, company objectives, intuitive user experience, quality, high velocity, engineering. I mean, there are so many things, a lot of um, 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 
negotiation between teams and I mean, it's it's an amazing world. Mm. So let me see if I, I mean, this is quite a powerful view on mindset. Let me see if I can deconstruct it so I understand it correctly. <laughs> You're saying there's like these two modalities, the discovery and then the delivery of what customers need. And you have and, to do and, that and, in, in the midst of ambiguity and uncertainty. Yeah, absolutely. In, in the entrepreneurial world. And I think that's basically the, that, that's the huge difference between a corporate like, you know, Microsoft, Apple and, and the works and, uh, and, and the startup. In a startup, you know, ambiguity is our life. Yeah. And, and that's what we're living every morning. Um, whereas... Uh, the, the big corporates cannot necessarily afford to be in an ambiguous life. Exactly. Because you know why? They're all about mitigating against risk. They're trying to make the trains run on time, de-risk everything, deliver consistently and repeatedly. Because when you achieve scale, the unfortunate thing is one slight variation can cause quite a mess. However, when you go back to the startup world, because you don't have that scale, you can kind of be flexible and go left and right and you can change a lot. But what you see is, you know, the capacity to be robust amongst pivot number seven, eight, nine, 10, 20, 30, 40. For a lot of people, that's exhausting, but actually you have to kind of pivot your way to success almost. What do you think? No, ab- absolutely, absolutely. And look, it's it's kind of a fair thing because um, n- next to the risks are the rewards. So basically, uh, you are a startup, you take all the risks, but the rewards are, you know, multiplying your company value 100 times, 1,000 times, 10,000 times, right? right? You cannot multiply Microsoft's value, you know, 1,000 times. I mean, whatever you are doing, it's basically mar- marginal. So yes. for a marginal increase, you don't really take that much of a, of, of a risk. Mm. Uh, so for marginal increase, you take marginal risk and that's that, I mean, marginal risk is no, uh, super, uh, crazy stuff. You just need to, uh, do small steps. So basically for, for a big corporate, you know, the, the big jumps and increases are mainly through acquisitions of Correct. companies that have already taken risks. That's and right. that's where my life, that's where my life uh, is basically creating and taking all these risks to create companies and products and ideas and uh, whatever, you know, the big guys need to make their, uh, th- their value better. Mm. And then I jump on to a, creating a, a new, taking a new risk for creating uh, value for my shareholders uh, and, and therefore helping, you know, big corporates to, to make their steps ahead. Yeah, perfect. Um, we're going to uh, talk about your latest venture uh, later in the show, but I just want to yep. remind all our listeners if they're um, interested and want to follow up on all the different uh, insights that Radu is sharing with us, head to unbounded.flowx.ai and you'll be able to get the show notes and the links to everything that we're talking about. Now, Radu, we sort of described very much the uh, founder's dilemma, which is to discover and deliver in the midst of ambiguity. We talked a lot about what the customer needs, but there's another critical aspect that happens pretty quickly in an early stage company and in enterprises too, and that is actually building workflows 
on the back end for the employees because invariably we attempted to make the mistake of, oh, we have a great UX for our customers, but it's a nightmare for the back end for the users and the employees too. What would you say if you've got a great product on the front end, how do you think about creating the admin, the resources, the employee tools on the back end. Tell us a little bit about those tools and those flows. Um, that, 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 that's a question with, with a very obvious answer. I mean, you need to have them or else, um, the, the, the internal tools. Now, there's the obvious question in, in, uh, in the founders or CEO's mind of a, of a young company. Um, do, do you, do you do, and, and let, let me step back a little bit. There are two basic extreme ways, uh, to, to create, uh, products and startups, right? There's the American mm-hmm. way and the German way I call them. So don't, it, it's, it's not putting <laughs> things in the box or whatever, but let, uh, you're, you're going to excuse me. Right. Uh, so, so sure. the American way is you create a PowerPoint and you go to a customer and say, Hey, Mr. Customer, I already have this thing. Are you going to buy it? The customer <laughs> says, you know, now I need it. You know, it, I, I don't need it yellow. I need it red. So you go, you change the PowerPoint and you go to the next customer, you know, are you going to buy it? And, and so on. And when one customer says, I want to buy it, then you go back and say, Oh man, you know, I need to deliver this. <laughs> right. Um, then, then the other way is the German way. You know, you, you think you by yourself in a room and say, Oh, the customers are going to need a car with this and this and this. You spend two years and 20 million. You create the car. You go with it in the, uh, in the market. And uh, the customer says, Oh, I don't need it yellow. I need it red. You say, Okay, you go spend another 20 million, another two years, build the red car and so on. You, you see where I'm going with this. I right? do. Yeah. Uh, so, so, um, but basically, um, the, the, the same with the uh, internal tools, basically creating the internal tools before having a product that actually sells and, and gives you critical mass. Uh, internal tools are basically not required, right? So you are doing, you, you have, you know, your first two customers, you have 10 customers, you do everything by hand. You don't even know what your product is. Is it yellow or red? And you do everything, uh, you know, without any automation because it's pointless to create automation on, uh, on a product on that, right? Right. It's an uncertainty. Yeah. Exactly. And here is the moment where automated tools and, you know, no code and, uh, and this kind of quick and dirty, uh, ways to do stuff really helps a lot to test, to try to uh, see what's happening, uh, and focus on, on the user experience on the, on the outside looking product is, you know, the real focus of the company. Now, once you have a product and, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a perfect world, millions of customers are coming, you know, in the first night of launch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then you have a problem and you need to really focus on the internal tools. So I, I think it's, it's, it's a cycles, basically thing. You focus on, on customers first, uh, uh, basically to figure out what the product is. And then the very moment when you figure that out, you need to take a deep breath and deconstruct the, uh, the, the 
product and the back office uh, mm. uh, procedures and everything and make sure that, you know, you have an A team of, of back office engineers to create uh, all the tools that everything can be automated. And that's where, uh, where, where the power of a good company eventually mm. is. What do you think the risk and damage is when companies don't uh, build the employee view, when they don't include uh, employees in their stakeholder, in, in their definition of a user, I think it's really important to remind our listeners it can get really rough. Like tell me, what what have you seen happen when startups have forgotten about the back end, the employee user? What, what actually is the cost that they pay? Yeah. So I, I'll give you an example without, without naming names. So uh, kind of a huge company that, that uh, I, I was close to um, had um, very important employees, technical employees, unhappy with the results, right? And saying, look, uh, you know, man, um, I, I really want to go because, you know, we are not the best company in that in this field people are not working well and we don't have procedures and everything uh so um please help me so i went to the uh corp vp uh that 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 was you know the most senior person i told him what the problem is with my own opinion and everything the guy said okay radu you know give me a couple of days i'm going to find a solution super cool i said uh two days later he was very happy found the solution and the solution was the row in the PNL where we can hire extra 50 people, five zero extra <laughs> 50 people. So the solving was a row in a PNL in the budget where he can throw in 50 extra people to make the company better. Now, come on, man. I mean, that's not what it is. And it took us six months to convince the, to convince the corporate that, um, you know, that <laughs> there are other things to do. And the other things are exactly what you are saying. Make sure that the internal teams have all the tools and this being, you know, um, software procedures, uh, whatever, automations, uh, the proper tools to be efficient, not to be secretaries uh, trying to figure out whatever and to, to manually do stuff. Mm. It's it's so much more than a row in a spreadsheet, isn't it? And there are so oh, many adva advantages you get when you have elegant user experience on the inside and outside. I mean, it's almost if you put them together, it's like one plus one equals three, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Ab absolutely. It's 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 both uh, economic. I mean, it makes sense from the CEO's perspective. It just makes sense. You see, in six months, you see the dollar benefit of it yeah yeah the problem is that you don't see it now you see it in six yeah. months yeah and ceos especially in 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 startups are very focused i would say because of the vc money that, that you have i i'm i'm myself vc money so i know what i'm saying mm -hmm. they're they're pushed for, you know, quick revenue, quick growth, hyper growth, and all these nice words, uh, they're pushed to results and quick results are not coming from a perfect back office. 
perfect back office, and we're going back to the uh, to the idea with you know American and German companies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, building a perfect back office, it's kind of planning for the future. You need to make, to to be sure that you have a future and you know what your future is. Yes, and it's almost you, you the go, same. Radu, I, I would I want to jump and say it's almost the same of getting uh, politicians to think about uh, policy for after their term of office, and they're like, uh-uh, exactly. baby. <laughs> it's exactly all right. Exactly, exactly. Politicians are going to come and say, hey, man, you know, can you promise me I'm going to be elected if I don't deliver this before elections? Right. And the same, the CEO, the CEO is coming and saying, yeah, I'm going to do this, you know, but I'm, I'm not going to give you revenues for the next mm. one, one year. Are you okay with that? And you go back and say, man, you know, I, I need both revenues and uh, make sure that, that we're preparing for the long run. Uh, yeah, and that, that's an interesting fight. <laughs> I totally hear you. So let's let's turn our, our minds towards another critical topic. Um, perhaps it's really at the intersection of business and technology. And this is the idea of, I mean, almost two opposing forces, which is this idea of no-code solutions versus custom code. And at the heart of those two vectors is this idea of control. Um, Listen, I would love to know, Raidu, what are your thoughts on these two areas? They're very dear to our hearts because, of course, FlowX has this unique capacity to integrate both of them. But let's kind of drill down on what it means sort of pros and cons-wise on no-code solutions. And then then let's cast our eyes, our eyes towards custom code because there's, a, there's some very strong uh, pluses and minuses on both sides, isn't there? What are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, and again, we may be very biased here, but um, I do think, honestly, that Flowix took the right approach in between or with both kind of sides, because you can you cannot have one or the other. It's a matter of having both. If, if I'm looking at this, I think any commercial or enterprise application is highly suitable for custom code development, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and for regulated industries, uh, where the need to ensure, you know, robust security compliance, you know, um, uh, this, this is paramount. However, the no code solution free up uh, to faster validate time, to uh, faster validate assumptions, uh, to solve for issues that would not be on the backlog of priorities. If you look, you know, from the top down uh, mm. for development resources. So, uh, and these are the I mean, you, you choose either quick and dirty, or you choose very slow, very solid, and very hard to modify. Uh, custom code, right? Um, as long as the security, compliance, uh, privacy, data management of these platforms are vetted by engineering team, it's so easy to start with the non-core business capabilities with with no code. But I think that no code cannot go, f- cannot get you further than than one uh, point. I mm. think that using both of them, you you need to use uh, custom code. Uh, for for your deep security core, uh, very well established requirements, and you can use no code for 
quick and dirty tests, uh, features that you, you need to implement, uh, but they don't really go into, into the core of uh, requirements. And a combination of them, it's, it's a dream world. Yeah, the the interesting thing, it's almost like there's a lot of universal standardized features you can imagine in any product around account management, onboarding, reporting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And those are essential and they occupy a big part of the user experience. So, you know, they're essential and and no code is well suited to that. But as you were saying, it's really interesting, like custom code is where you can create a level of specificity and customization around high value features that work in concert with some of those standardized features. Now, here's the interesting thing. If we are making the argument that you need, you can use no code for some of those standard features, custom for the sort of the really customized, powerful, uh, proprietary advantage that you might have in your service, then what tie we have to deal with the control between the two of them. So let's let's build this argument a little bit. So we've made the case for no code and custom code, but let's now mm-hmm. talk about the central idea that would govern them both. And my thought here that I want to get your feedback on is I really think that it comes down to workflows being at the heart of control. It's not only what the workflow is, it's for whom, for when, what are the constraints of that workflow, what different states that workflow enters. So Radu, what I'd love you to do is tell me what's at the heart of creating the balance of when you've got no code and custom code working together? Okay. So, so I, I think that to, to start with acknowledging the two worlds, I think that being able as a, uh, and we're coming back to the product guy, you know, the same mm-hmm. guy we're coming back always. Uh, the, the product guys really understanding what the requirements are from the outside and inside. And from the outside requirements coming from customers, require, uh, requirements coming from regulators, requirements coming from partners, and, you know, from the inside, uh, technology and mm. operations and so on. Um, so understanding this, it, and, and this is a huge map that the product oh. guy, uh, oh. ha- exactly. I mean, it's, it's not a whiteboard. It's As, uh, as you're a- saying it, Radu, I'm thinking, okay, so if we're going to map requirements and flows for each user, so you've got new users, current users, admins, editors, uh, only access, only users. Then you've got third-party API services, write, read and write access privileges. You've got security flows. But there's no shortcut here. You've got to know all of the stakeholders, the flows and requirements for each of them, right? And, and, and the thing is that it, 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 uh, on top of everything, uh, we're not 30, 40, 50 years ago. We are, we are today and next year. And we have, we are pushed, we are obligated to build companies that deliver results really quick. Mm. We, are, we are not allowed to build IBM in 25 years. We have to build the equivalent of IBM. We have to build UiPath in two years, mm. right? 
Mm. So, so, uh, and, and so, so basically you need to use shortcuts to deliver, um, all the processes that are somehow core, but not your business, like all the, all the login and yep. authentication. Okay. is required. It's mandatory. It has to be good and everything, but are you going to build it from scratch? Nah, really? No. Um, but, and, and as a product guy, understanding all these things and understanding what your business is. And I think, um, and coming back to a short answer to your question, I I think the most important thing is to understand what business you are in Mm. and to, to make sure that the processes that are very specific of the business you are in, um, are the, the processes that you own and you create, uh, by yourself. How about this? Let, let me see if I've understood this. I think we're getting into really the advantage that both custom code and, and no code give. I think what you're saying is because of the speed constraint that we all have, be in the enterprise or the startup, no code is essential for giving you those shortcuts and those speed advantages. And yep. it's like full code is where you get down to business of creating the highest value for each of your user stakeholders. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for, for, for getting it <laughs> in, in better words. No, that's, I mean, listen, we're working on this together and sharing these insights with our listeners because these are things that product managers, CEOs, uh, senior executives in the large enterprise are all, you know, grappling with. I mean, the one thing is to have like this beautiful vision, but then the other thing is like, how do we do it quick, but still create a ton of value for, for the different users? Um, look, I think, uh, our listeners are now ready to hear more about what's next for you. I mean, over two decades of being an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur, you've been involved with dozens of companies. You have somehow squeezed into the day, a new, uh, startup that has got your attention and it's in your participation. It's called Seedblink. Tell us, you know, how are they disrupting the world of fintech um, and the world of investment? And share with us a little bit about what has got you so excited. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for giving me the chance to do this. I'm always, and you know, do have some 20 hours if you get me started speaking about SeedBlink. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it is really exciting. So I, I, I'm, I'm going to start by by just quickly saying what, what it is. It basically focuses on, on Europe uh, and on technology companies and provides this European technology companies with um, access to finance on all levels from startup to growth and uh, maturity. Uh, the startup, you know, um, angel investing and syndication and equity crowdfunding, growth on VC money and um, uh, maturity on, on, on a stock exchange. So basically we are creating this environment where we do create a stock exchange. We, create, we, we are creating a new stock exchange, right? A European, you want to, to, to call it your European NASDAQ, but you know, mm. it's, it's a more 
modern and and uh, uh, for, from different perspectives. And a, a, a series A, B, C, uh, follow-on uh, focused VC and the syndication tools for business angels uh, to actually be able to invest in, in tech startups. Now, uh, that, that's from the company perspective. From the investor's perspective, we're, we're, we're consolidating on, on, on a European level uh, the ability of investors, of different types of investors to invest in different levels of companies. And we're training them to uh, to, to get them to invest based on a thesis, to create a portfolio of companies, to follow on uh, in, in bigger companies, to follow on on the VC level and to follow on as, a, as, as an investor onto, onto stock exchange. So it's a, it's a huge endeavor. Uh, and, you know, consolidating Europe, Europe is a very interesting kind of animal. It's 27 states uh, that are different with different legislations and so on. So consolidating on thing, all these things, it's, it's a, it's a very, very interesting, uh, animal. Let, now, let me, now let me just pause you there to make sure I've understood the scale of seed blink. You're saying that you will participate from seed through to IPO, effectively creating the NASDAQ of Europe. Yeah, absolutely. That, well, you know when they always say you've got to make sure your business vision is big enough? Radu, I think it may be big enough on this one. <laughs> I, I think as well. I think as well. And you asked me what, what got me excited. And I'm, I'm putting, look, it's, it's, uh, it, sometimes it hurts me to say I'm putting 80%, 80 percent of my time into this company uh, daily. So that's, that's a lot. And, um, what gets me exciting of this company is two things. One is that the vision is, is amazing. I'm really in love with this and it, it gets into geopolitics of why Europe, where, where's the Europe position, how Europe creates unicorns and what's the EU interest. I mean, it's so, so interesting. And I'm saying, I'm telling you, it's a long discussion here, mm -hmm. but second is that out of 37 companies I, I was involved in, and this is the 37s. This company is the highest growing company in the first two years. Now, of course, this is no guarantee for further success, but it's, it's something. I mean, in the first two years, this company is the highest growing company I've seen. Uh, and good vision, uh, great execution team. Uh, we are basically four founders. Uh, two ex-bank CEOs, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one technology CEO and myself, and we are each working about 16 hours a day. And, you know, you just imagine how you know, bank CEOs, you know, used to uh, assistance drivers and uh, suits, and, you know, you know the type. They're really uh, doing emails and, uh, and programming and doing like working 16 hours a day, literally in mm. a startup rolling up their sleeves and we are rolling all uh, up our sleeves. Uh, we're we 50 people. We, we just acquired um, a company. We're consolidating Europe. We're, we're on, 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 a, on a, some sort of an M&A spree. Um, it's absolutely amazing. Okay. So huge vision. Um, for you personally, you, you know, you mentioned that it's got unprecedented growth. What excites you when you look inside the business that is creating this growth? Let's lift up the, you know, the hood of the engine. What are you seeing inside of the organization? 
What is it that they do that creates that sort of growth? Is it people, culture? Is it just crazy good product market fit? What is it that's creating this like momentum? Like, like in any successful company, it's a lot of, um, a lot of things. It's a combination. It cannot be only one. It's, it's a lot of luck. It's really amazing team, good timing for the market. Um, some, uh, some, some luck with just, uh, choosing the right features and the, it's, it's a, it's a huge combination of, uh, of things. I honestly, I cannot put my finger on one reason mm. why this company is already successful. And I think none of the, you know, uh, Apple's and Microsoft's and so on can actually, it's a combination. It's always a combination of, uh, of reasons. It's the good moment in time with the right, um, the, the right features and, and vision and people uh, to be there. Would I be as daring to say if we were to look at patterns at companies that you and I have both seen that have been successful, that it's like good people who understand the market have timed, like su- supposed luck is that they've come to market yeah. with a product that really fits. Meaning that when they say, hey, here's what we do, people are already like, oh, my gosh. Like they, they, they just have to describe it in a few sentences and people are like, yes, I need that. I, I, I'm like you. I'm not 100% sure what the formula is, but I believe if I look at some of the components that you've mentioned, I do see it's like founders who really understand the market and the problem and then come to, the, to, to that market and that problem with the solution where everybody kind of feels and sees the the need, but they don't know how to solve it. And that's what I see when companies don't have um, much, uh, or let me say it this way, when companies have a lot of trouble selling, I believe that's a sign that people don't understand the solution. They're not applying it to the right problem. Companies that have relative ease in selling tends to be a characteristic of on the buy side, the the customer's like, yes, I have this problem. Yes, I need this solution. Same thing with consumers. If we go out of B2B and go to B2C, when people just go, yes, that makes sense. Do you think it could be that this supposed luck and timing comes from really good founders who have actually arranged the right features inside of the, the product so that when customers see it, they go, oh my gosh, that is the solution for my problem. And off we go. Yeah, absolutely. And you can feel it. You can feel mm. it. I mean, people got, you know, like flies coming, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, um, they're, they're coming and you can feel it's good. And, you know, it's, it's not only customers. It's uh, the same thing applies to A players, uh, yes. team members. So A players don't come to, to losing companies yeah. and they just completely, there is, they, they feel somehow, I don't know, but um, if, if, if the company have issues on, on bringing on board A players and they're, they're just trying to figure out B players, C players, uh, that, that's a, that's a sign that uh, is not good. Mm. Um, but so, so, 
figuring out that you know APLs are coming on board, customers are are coming on board, partners are coming on board, everything aligns. And then you come in the office, even these days when, you know, there's mostly work from home, but still, you know, people come to the office and everything. So you come to the office and, and feel this energy uh, in the office across uh, Zoom and whatever else uh, people are using. Uh, there is this, this amazing energy uh, and people work and, and figure out ways to make sure that they deliver best product to, to the, to the market. And, mm. uh, it, it actually makes me wake up in the morning and say, look, I'm, I'm once again, I'm so lucky to be around. Well, isn't that just the best way to, to wake up, to know that the work that you are doing brings you some challenges, but a lot of satisfaction and fulfillment along the way. I mean, is that not what we're all working towards, Radu? I I hope so. I hope yeah. so. I, so I, I certainly do, and I feel so lucky to, to to be here and so privileged to to be in this position to be able to work my heart off together with with a team and together with partners, and you know, be here with you and be able to share uh, all these things. I'm I'm amazingly lovely, uh, lucky, and I'm I'm grateful for this. Well, listen, I think we could all do with some of your luck, Radu. If we want to find you out there on the wild, wide internet, where is the best place to look up your thoughts? How can people connect with you best? Are you big on the Twitter? Are you big on the LinkedIn? I mean, what's your platform of choice? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to write on LinkedIn, but uh, I don't really write uh, write much. I'm 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 writing on LinkedIn. If if there's one to say, I'm writing on LinkedIn. I used to have a blog, RadoGeorgescu.com, but I I find it kind of hard to find time to write. Um, so yeah, not a big writer. Well, how about this? Uh, we can find you on LinkedIn, correct? Absolutely, yes. And uh, do you want to just give us the URL for for your your hot little startup that we were just mentioning? That that that's uh, seedblink.com. Seedblink.com. Cool name. So seedblink.com. If you want to perhaps see some of the magic from Radu, or maybe you're looking to raise a round. Either way, you're going to be delighted when you get to Seedblink. And if you want to get in touch with Radu, you can head to LinkedIn and look up Radu Georgescu. But most importantly, everything that we have mentioned on this show today will be transcribed. Lots of links, lots of goodies will be found at our wonderful little site, unbounded.flowex.ai. Radu, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Did you have some fun? Sorry, come again? Hey, Radu, thanks for joining us on the show. I hope you had some fun today. Oh, I, that, that's amazing. So uh, absolutely, it's a, it's a great way to wake up in the morning and speaking to you. And um, I hope to do this more often. Thank you, Radu. We're very grateful for you giving us the time to share all your insights. It's just been wonderful to hear your perspective as a serial entrepreneur looking at what it takes to build these great teams, what it takes to have the courage to try things out, to experiment, to find the product market fit, to exploit the benefits of 
no code, custom code, and more than anything, creating the momentum with A players to get that lucky break to have the right product to solve the right solutions out there in the world. So Rado, thanks to you and thanks to you, our listeners. We really appreciate your time here on Unbounded Talks and our show is powered by flowx.ai. If you'd like to get anything more from this show, head to unbounded.flowx.io. All right, guys, that's a wrap.